Friendship power flop. Friendship power flop. Let's go shonen flop. Let's go shonen flop. Welcome to this episode of Shonen Flop, where we talk about manga series and shonen jump that didn't make it big. I'm David. I'm Jordan. And this week we're talking about Stealth Symphony, and we're joined by our guest today, Tori. Hi, I'm Victoria John, aka Tori, and I am an illustrator and a comics artist. Some of my works include um, short uh, comics in zines, illustrations in um, art compilations, and um, as well as the webcomic Perfection Engine. And I'm here to um, talk about the final details of Stealth Symphony with some friends here. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tori. Let's start by first going into the mega details. This series was created by a team of both an artist and a writer, which is actually a little bit rare for this series we've covered. I think only one or two series were a team. And so the art was by Amano Yoichi, who did a few other series that really haven't made it big either, such as Selling Me Softly, Season Call, and Examurai, which has a really badass name, but none of these series really, I think, went past like three or four volumes. I was going to say, that name sounds rad. Is that about like an ex-samurai, or is that a, a samurai that finds Excalibur? Actually, you know what? It might be both. It's a ripoff of Ronin Kenshin, which wasn't like the prequel's name, Samurai X. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. So maybe there's a reason they only made him do the art instead of the writing too. To contrast this, the writer of this series, Nirata Rigo, his expertise isn't so much in manga, but light novels, which for those of you who have listened to our Dark Mage, Dark Mage was a series based on a light novel. And that's kind of where it's a lot of text, but every once in a while there will be like manga style pages for like emphasis of certain things. And so in particular, he's written two series called Bakano and Juraro, both of which are very famous series in Japan have had anime adaptions that have been adapted in English. Bakuno is definitely one of my personal favorites, and I highly recommend it. And that's actually one of the series that's generally recommended to listen to in English, because it's actually set in American, like the 1920s, so it just adds a lot of authenticity to it. And then he actually, though, has found a lot of success in the manga world after his first attempt, where his current series, Dead Mount Death Play, is still going on, and it's been running since 2017. So at least we have a happy ending for this writer, even if the artist hasn't been quite as successful. Light novels are very interesting. I, I I read a little bit of a light novel once or twice. It really is just like you're reading a script, but with illustration. I think like light novels are a lot more uh, common in like um, East, East Asian countries, which is kind of a shame. Like I really want to check them out, but um, it's like, I don't think they're as accessible here. Absolutely. So this series ran from March 22nd, 2013 to July 14th, 2014. And it was only 21 chapters over two volumes. Oof. Why don't we go into talking about the manga itself? So Jordan, why don't you lead us off talking about the plot and the characters? Jin Komanuma is a sickly orphan boy who is saved when his funeral director implants him with cyborg parts in order to keep him alive. The parts are actually what is called a dragon heirloom, or legacy, a relic from 100 years ago when powerful magical shape-shifting dragons rule the world. The heirloom reacts incredibly violently to harmful intent, which leads the pacifist Jig to move to the city in search of another heirloom that can counteract those violent reactions. He immediately goes to VNV Comprehensive Security, also known as Virtue and Vice Comprehensive Security, in order to hire a body card that can actually protect other people from himself. There he meets Troma, an invisible man who is actually an invisible glass dragon who wears a mask so people can see where he is. He also meets Alice, a vampire who works in the office support, and the president of the company who is a little troll. Jig encounters the Assassin Guild, led by Soya, a cheerful but incredible skilled and deadly killer who operates his business out of a bakery. He finds out there is an A-rank artifact that is capable of disabling the heirloom that he has attached to him, but he needs to raise $450 million to buy it. Unable to find a job, Jig joins the cyborg school, which is actually a group of thieves, I guess. Some confusing stuff happens, and it turns out that Jig is actually a totally unreliable narrator. The orphanage director is actually an ancient evil dragon, and the purpose of Jig's cyborg parts was not to save his life, but to turn him into a super powerful evil black dragon, which is supposedly the dragon's leader who will help lead them back to their world. Jig has gone completely insane and starts to attack his friends when Soya shows up out of nowhere, cuts off his head and explains that before Jig lost his mind, he hired Soya to kill him if he starts attacking his friends. It turns out that Soya is able to do this because he is also a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> implanted with dragon parts and is also a zombie and uh I don't know 10 years later we reconnect with the remaining main cast having gone through a portal into the real world Japan there they intend to start making subtle moves so as to not alert those around them in their presence to a new 
stealth symphony. It then cuts the credits and says, a Hideo Kojima production. (laughs) I know when I was reading this initially, like, I knew what you guys were doing as far as, like, this podcast goes. And then I read the first chapter and then the rest of the story. And I was like, guys, what have you gotten me, uh, gotten me into? Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'll just say there was a fucking shit show of a plot. Yeah. So Jordan, how did you feel when you found out that Jig was like an unreliable narrator and like everything in his life was a lie? Honestly, dude, it was like the coolest thing to happen in the manga up to that point. Like it confused the hell out of me. It sacrificed a lot of the earlier manga for that twist though. Would you say the Jig is up? Oh, I hate you. Boo. (laughs) That was the only reason I asked you that question. Ugh. (laughs) Look, man, I didn't know you had that pun. I don't know why you think everybody else could just read your mind and go, oh, David's going for a pun here. I don't know. I'm always going for a pun, Jordan. Come on, you fucking know that. I hoped better of you. I shouldn't. I don't know why. Yeah, that's true. That's my fault. But yeah, so that's the plot. It's very fucking hard (laughs) to write down because after a certain point, it just turns into a series of twists. I usually write the plot description, but this time was the first time I was like, guys, I need help because I don't know what the fuck happened in this series. There's so much plot that happens in a very small amount of chapters. This is only 20 chapters. Mm-hmm. A lot of this plot and a lot of these twists happen in like three chapters. Yeah, this is a longer plot description than we had for Samurai 8, which was two and a half times longer than this series. Well, here's the thing about Samurai 8. The actual plot is not something that is like you super have to like keep paying attention to. Like it's kind of simple. Like the issue here is that there's really nothing pushing the characters forward except for stuff that we learn is a lie. You know that meme where it's like, is this a pigeon? And he's like pointing to a butterfly. It's that guy. And instead of a pigeon, he's pointing to like the 40 plus characters that show up and he goes, is this a plot? That's it. He just keeps trying to find excuses to say introduce characters. Like there's probably two plus characters introduced in every single chapter in this manga. Yeah, that sounds about right. This manga is 20 chapters long. In chapter 13, they're still like introducing brand new concepts and characters that you haven't seen before. On that related note, why don't we actually start going into the characters itself? Tori, would you like to tell a kind of audience about the main character, Jig? The main character is um, Jig Kumonuma, and uh, it's kind of different depending on like what your uh, what version you're reading. Um, it's localized as Jig, but then we're also um, made to understand that it's supposed to be like Zig, like the German spelling. So. Zig or Jig, it doesn't really matter. But in any case, so we have your um, typical young shonen protagonist. He has a mechanical life support system attached to him. And uh, it kind of looks like sort of mechanical um, dragon wings. And effectively what it does is that whatever hostile attack comes towards him, the artifact will immediately reflect it back to the attacker at a greater force. So effectively, whenever he's bullied, whenever he's attacked, the people around him get hurt. He becomes very self-conscious about this, so that is why he goes to Jimbocho to try to get this um, curse uh, resolved. I personally found him like a little concerning from the outset, just because um, he's not particularly out of the ordinary for um, shonen protagonists to not particularly have a good sense of uh, self-preservation at all. But within the first chapter, he's suicidal? Yes. <laughs> and then you see in the uh, subsequent chapters that, um, you know, he gets himself into danger with no regard for himself. And then by the time he starts going insane, it's um, obviously, uh, it obviously gets much, much worse. It's safe to say that he needs a lot of professional help and we're not talking about his curse. Yeah, like he's being driven insane by the life support system that has been put inside him. Although we are to learn because, again, everything in this manga is a twist. He actually wasn't sick. It turns out that the orphanage director was, I guess, making him sick. They didn't go into super close detail on it. So basically, the orphanage director tricked him in order to put those things on him in order to basically turn him into a dragon. So he's going insane as his body turns into a dragon, basically. I thought, though, that, like, the twist was he was always a dragon, and, like, the artifact is his shell or something. Yeah, something along those lines. They mentioned it, but then they never really explained it. 
Yeah, and they don't explain, like, why his family was murdered so easily if they're dragons. Mm-hmm. Well, but if that's the case, then maybe he didn't even have a family, and maybe this was all lies. They say his family's dead or something. What they start at the beginning is he sends, like, these letters to his family, and it's, like, really cute. And then we find out, like, his letters never got delivered because the family doesn't exist. Yeah. And, like, a character walks into his room, and she finds, like, all these rejected letters because they're, like, the address doesn't exist. And, like, you see on the wall, he had, like, a to-do list, like, a daily calendar, and he just starts writing, like, this, like, complete gibberish on the calendar as he's going more insane, like, writing on the walls and stuff. Right. You're, like, kind of questioning things as if, like, you've been, ga- like, basically gaslit by this mangaka and, like, this this manga plot in general. This manga is gaslighting. I think intentionally. Like, you start off and you meet Jig and he's this incredibly boring character. It starts off with Jig basically saying, man, you know, I'd like to say that looks can be deceiving, but actually, I've always been bullied for how I look. And it's like, oh, I was bullied because I have super powerful cyborg dragon implants that destroy all the bullies who make fun of me. We find out that there's a very legitimate reason why people hate him so much. Yeah. He literally ripped out a guy's eye at one point. And that's the thing. If I were to reread this, I would, like, pick up on a bunch of stuff that I didn't notice before. It was so dense. I was like, I can't do this again. Yeah. There are chapters where legitimately he just has full text. It's like the reverse visual novel where he just has pages where it's just nothing but text. Okay, shall we move on to the next character? The next character is Yabusame Toruma, or as I read, as my translation had him written, Troma, which is relevant because it made me think of the Toxic Avenger, and shout out to people who know what that is. So Troma is kind of my favorite character in the whole series. He's invisible, and he wears a mask, which means that it looks like when you're talking to him, it's just this floating mask. He wants people to succeed at their dreams, but he also has no dreams of his own. And also, as we mentioned earlier, he is actually a giant invisible dragon that um, can take the form of an also invisible boy. And what I like about Troma is that he's very powerful and he clearly has a good heart, but he works for a private security firm. And what that means is that his skills are sometimes bought by the bad guys, you know? Like, he's hired by an enemy with a lot of money. Like, I think that this story has a lot of allegory and metaphor in it. I definitely think that Troma is supposed to represent kind of, like, the tragedy of, like, the company man who, he's good and he would never do anything bad, but, like, his boss is telling him to do bad shit and he believes in doing what his boss says because that's just how he functions. He literally has no desire is how he phrases it. Like, he has no dreams. So, I think it's actually this very interesting um, conflict that happens when you see him. He winds up doing evil, even though he is just the nicest, friendliest guy and means no ill will. I I agree. I think he is the Sora, which is actually, I think, a term we haven't used in a little while. For context, Sora is when there's just like a really, really good character in a series where the art characters may not be as strong. Like, he definitely has that energy where he's just more depth and interesting, which is ironic because the whole point is he wasn't supposed to have depth because he literally, both his personality and his powers are meant to channel the will of, of other people, which is definitely also a really interesting writing challenge that I knew that if the author was worse, he would have just been this bland, like, flat character that just kind of stood in the background and didn't do anything. He also also has Troma still express his own opinions sometimes. Like, Troma will do this stuff, but you don't get the sense that Troma's like, happy about it. Like, there's a big internal conflict going on with him, which is, I think, why his character works so well. I think there would have been a lot of interesting character evolution if the series had had the time to breathe. Yeah, for sure. I also agree with, um, just, like, as far as, like, his, um, his potential just because, like, he's a subtle character and, like, those kinds of characters, you don't really see them shine unless there's, you know, space for them to grow, to show how they react to all sorts of variety of things. And then this this manga not only ended up being short, but also being way too dense for that potential to really happen. That's a very good point, because one of the big issues this manga has is there's no subtlety. Yeah, it's kind of ironic, actually. Like, I remember when, uh, in one of the chapters, they were like, yeah, we try to keep the stealth symphony to try to keep things subtle, and so that, um, you know, we try to keep our problems discreet, and then here they are with like, these, like, ridiculous, outrageous powers. Your, your typical explosive shown in action. So it's like, um, all right, okay. The first threat that Jig comes under is a guy tries to drop an I-beam on him, which I felt was just like, it's a little on the nose, man. Yeah, just a guy in a trench coat who's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna drop a fucking I-beam on ya. <laughs> 
after that, the cops are like, well, man, if you want protection, you should go to so-and-so. Were they planted or was that just like a coincidence? I'm trying to remember back now. The author clearly put a lot of uh, intent into designing that cop and then he never shows up again. Yeah, he's got like a giant afro and stuff and sunglasses, but he's like a lizard person or something. It was something. Speaking of the protection agency, why don't we talk about the second most reoccurring member of that guild, Alice, which... Chef's Kiss, I love that name. It's great. When Tucker was sending me the pronunciation guide, he's like, and so her name is Alice, which is a English name, so you probably don't need a pronunciation guide for that one. And I was like, you are right. Let me just read a little, uh, like this one page that happens. Alice Nijigami is a descendant of vampires with a special ability, along with a person's blood. Her clan can take powers that person may have had and make them their own. Alice's mother chose to spend her life with a human, but a religious cult turned her into ashes for the sin of just existing. The soul collector ability that Alice inherited continued to feast on others' powers. Flame control, ice control, hypnotism, a curse that created money in exchange exchange for her life force. With both fighting and financial muscle, she set out to get her revenge on the cult. But in one breath, an invisible dragon snuffed out her burning rage for revenge. Stifling her thirst for revenge, she blended in with the townspeople. No longer hiding that she was a vampire, she decided to live her life for her parents too. There, that's the plot. You don't need any other plot. That's all you need for a manga. What is all this additional shit? You've introduced a whole plot in one page, and then it's not relevant. Yeah, and they do this for multiple characters, actually. For Alice and for one of the antagonists, the siren that comes in the middle of the manga. <laughs> Fucking mermaid. <laughs> it's not like they're not allowed to do that sort of thing, where, like, they introduce the character's backstory, but when they do it in such a way where it's just kind of, like, shoehorned in the middle of, like, say, like, an action scene, not only have you not presented it in a way that's um, coherent and um, makes the readers invested in that character, but also you're sticking that in the middle of another scene that you're supposed to be developing right now. This series, if it fails miserably on one thing, it's that it it continues to tell rather than show. For sure. There are these moments like that where the author is just like, you know what, I'm just gonna just dump all the backstory that I wrote for this character right here so you understand it. I'm not gonna like show you or anything, but just so you know, this is why you should care about this character. And like, that doesn't work. It works in One Piece because you know the character's going to show up again and that back plot is going to matter in like five years, but <laughs> he earned that. Exactly, he earns it, but you'll usually at least see part of that plot and he won't tell you the whole thing. It'll be like this mystery that'll be expanded upon later. What I just said, that's like her whole backstory, really. There's probably a pitch that got rejected, but he still really liked the idea, so he wanted to shoehorn it into this series. Yeah. This series in general feels like the author kind of had writer's block and just threw all of his ideas together into one, into one thing. This was his first time doing a weekly series, and he just didn't really know what to do. Because writing a book versus writing a manga is just so different that you can see his inexperience where he's still trying to do, you know, tr- traditional style writing for a series that's just not adapted for it. Yeah, absolutely. I had a webcomic. Of course, like a webcomic um, usually doesn't exactly involve like pumping out, say, 17 to 20 pages a week. At best, like, you know, maybe I'm doing like one or two. But even then, it's just like a completely different ballpark altogether. You have to consider where your audience was at the last time your chapter was uh, released, what your audience might have retained since that time, and then try to go at a pace where they can really follow. This manga just fails to do that. I think even if you were to really remember what the audience uh, remembered from the last time you saw um, your comic, it just doesn't really do anything to help with connecting the two or help remember or help the audience remember um, what happened. And it also doesn't really uh, give you a sense of, oh, this might happen the next time I read this comic. That's a really good point. Did we talk about her curse? Like the fact that her blood turns into gold? I think one of the most jarring moments, maybe I'm biased, but I really liked um, Alice's character design. And uh, she's, uh, you know, portrayed as, like, really nice, and, like, you know, she's also, like, really powerful in battle. And then, all of a sudden, in some random chapter, she explains, oh, yeah, when I'm wounded, I literally shit out gold. <laughs> she's a fucking Goomba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you stomp on her head. The reason she bleeds gold is because she stole, or she copied this ability from a character named Slice, who we will go to in a second. But before that, why don't we delve into the last main character, I would say, of the series. And I know, Jordan, you are a really big fan of Mr. Assassin Boy, 
Hey, David, why don't you try and pronounce that? Uh, you know, gee, so yeah. I'm just being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are. Yeah, so Jordan, so why don't we talk about your favorite assassin baker, Yunagi Soya. So Yunagi Soya is the vice boss of the Assassin Guild. He's a decent guy. He avoids uh, killing his subordinates when they failed, which is, you know, a very common stupid trope in a lot of fiction. You know, you want to show bad guys evil. Have him kill somebody who just failed. But he seems like a nice guy. He also runs a bakery. And he's like a zombie or something. He's also a dragon or something. But that's not revealed till the end. Literally like the last couple chapters. So Yunagi Soya is kind of cool. He's like sort of a company man. Kind of like Troma. Although he definitely has much more of an agenda and a personal stake in things. It's interesting because this manga... Like, the factions that this manga sets up, you have the company, like, V&V, the company that Troma and uh, everybody else kind of works for, and then you have a guild of assassins, and then you have a school of cyborgs. He is, like, one of the heads of the assassin guild, and his whole thing is, he'll be talking to you, but uh he's very good at just sneakily killing people, and they actually do a pretty good job of having them be a little sneaky in, like, one of the brief little vignettes where uh, there's literally a human trafficking subplot, and the boss of the human trafficking gets killed by an assassin who just pretended to be his secretary. But yeah, so Soya's whole thing is he's this always smiling but very deadly killer, and he tells Jig, hey, if you ever want to die, just talk to me and I'll kill you for you. And then he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's also clearly friends and old colleagues with Troma, probably because they're both dragons. The undead thing is I think he is a ghost possessing his own body, because I thought they called him a ghost at one point. They did. This great moment where uh, Soya is talking to the orphanage director. I don't remember if we ever got her name, but she's like the evil mastermind behind the whole thing. And she's just like, Soya, but you died years ago. And then there's this little moment where the manga reminds you, hey, by the way, zombies exist in this world. And she's like, oh, fuck, there are zombies here. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of ridiculous, let's go to the man who literally bleeds gold, Slice. The one character I had 100% confidence I could see the name right. <laughs> so they say $450 million is a lot of money and Slice easily was able to pay it, but his title is still millionaire, despite him literally bleeding gold. <laughs> Yeah, so he's the main bad guy. He's the one who owns the artifact that the main character needs to disable. You know, when he thought it was an artifact, they literally call the artifact the MacGuffin. <laughs> I cannot fucking believe they just called it a MacGuffin. So the way that they try to explain um, these artifacts is like they have their them rank from like A to E. And they go out of their way to say that um, a rank E artifact is something that can buy somebody a mansion. It's just worth that much. And then the D rank, uh, it apparently some, uh, somebody used it to gain enough wealth to create his own country or something like that. So then you would expect uh, somebody with like an A rank uh, artifact, and maybe that artifact has like a really fearsome name or something. But then by the time we see it, it's like, oh, it's called MacGuffin. Yeah. So for reference, MacGuffin is a trope name where it is an object that has no relevance to the plot except it being important to the plot. Like in Pulp Fiction, one of the most iconic MacGuffins of all time is the suitcase or the briefcase where everyone wants the briefcase, but the briefcase actually doesn't matter to the plot besides characters wanting it. It's not actually a bad thing. It's just kind of an apparent thing. Yeah. Like a lot of plots need MacGuffins and MacGuffins can help. Here, they just got lazy because I kind of feel like this manga thinks it's way smarter than it is. As we've alluded to, characters were a mess, plot was a mess. There is definitely a lot of things that did not go right in this series. So, Tori, why don't you lead off the discussion of kind of what stuck out to you the most as areas that the series just did not do well? So what I felt like when I re read the first chapter, I was like, okay, did I drink something and like not know it? Or did I eat an edible and have no idea I even ate one? <laughs> I immediately messaged um, Dave being like, what did I just read? <laughs> As we mentioned, we have our main protagonist, Jake, going to um, the city of Jinbocho to get his um, curse resolved, right? Mm -hmm. And the curse is introduced and in how he got it. And suddenly there's an assassin in the same chapter revealing that life support is a dragon's legacy only a few pages after they introduce what even dragon's legacies are within the same chapter by the way they even lampshade on this like oh oh my that spoiler was really effective 
When um, Jake basically loses his mind and goes berserk upon realizing that he was betrayed by his um, caretaker in some way. Then he tries to commit suicide until Toroma saves him and reveals himself to be an invisible dragon. So... I'm an asshole for interrupting, but no, so basically, like, it kind of makes you question, should Jake have killed himself? From the perspective of the manga, though, of the plot, should Jake have killed himself is the thing? Like... I mean, he ends up dying anyway. Exactly. Is Troma doing something bad by saving him? It's like, I don't know. Oh my goodness. So for me personally, like whenever I see uh, in fiction a um, a character who is suicidal, like I really uh, have a lot of sympathy for that character just because, you know, this may be the outside the scope of, of a podcast, but you know, like many people, I've had um, various, you know, mental downs and whatnot. So... Oh, same. Yeah. You want to see that character get better, but then when this is going on literally within the first chapter where the main character goes from, yeah, new city to, oh, I'm going to kill myself um, within one chapter you don't really know what to really do with that kind of information. Which I think actually really dovetails into my big issue here, which is things happen so fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The author clearly had this great idea for this unreliable narrator and all this cool shit's gonna happen, but he didn't like pace it at all. Because, like, the way you do this is you set up a character and you set up the world and you get an understanding for who the character is so that when this twist happens, it, like, really hits you. But the author wasn't really interested in telling you about the character and making you understand him. I mean, when he first introduces him, the first thing you see of Jig is, and the author is, again, very clearly trying to do this. He is presented as the most generic of generic shonen protagonists. And again, I get what he's doing in the abstract. I think it's clever what he's doing. Unfortunately, what happens is that means that for the first part of the manga of the first chapter, we're reading a very generic, boring character. And we don't really learn more about him so much as we are told things that he did in his past. And then all of a sudden, he's he is kind of a twist. He's kind of the MacGuffin in that sense, I guess. I guess so. Kind of complimenting the whole issue with the pacing is sometimes I felt that there was too many speech bubbles and text crowding one pa- uh, a single page at once. And that just goes to like, you know, how dense the story is, how, as mentioned before, the author tries to tell more than show things. I don't know about you guys, but I also felt as though some of the powers were super ridiculous, even by Shona manga standards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, for example, um, so about that ninja... Can, uses shurikens and um, is able to replicate shurikens, uh, which, you know, when you're reading the manga, it starts off as simply, you know, replicating shurikens because of like some of the visual pacing and like the written pacing of the manga within literally two pages. Somehow that replicate, that group of replicating shurikens has replicated so much that you suddenly see this massive golem-like thing comprised completely of supposedly replicated shurikens. And also, by the way, that ninja can also bend light for some reason. Uh, and his shurikens can hit another character's, um, satellite in space. Tori, I don't remember any of that happening. I remember the satellite. I remember that the mermaid made a golem, and there was a lot of golems that showed up. Oh, we got to fucking talk about the mermaid. I can't believe that is. Uh, those are strings of sentences. I'm literally saying on record that there is a ninja that can bend light and hit a, hit a space satellite with a shuriken. And it's just... <laughs> It definitely feels like almost every character here is the protagonist of their own manga, you know? For sure. Which is kind of the author's writing style. Like, if you read Tararara, it's literally like that. Mm-hmm. Which is fine in literature, I think. In a book, you give all the book at once. You're not reading this week by week. I can't imagine how hair-pulling it had to have been to have read this and had to wait an entire week to know what the hell was going on and re- retain everything that's going on. Yeah. You read the entire contents of a book, you know, which is probably a year's worth of manga in, you know, probably two or three days versus someone literally having to wait week by week and probably having to make, like, a spreadsheet of every character. And here's the thing. I think that, like, some of these issues could have been addressed with, like, you know, the main character, Jig, by hinting at this inner depth and this inner weird, like, uh, unhingedness in, like, the beginning, sort of. Mm-hmm. And I understand that would have, that might have thrown off the twist or made it, made it seem more like it was, like, coming, but I think it would have made for a better story, like, something that's more, uh, engaging throughout the whole way. Yeah, for sure. 
You have to wait till, like, the manga is just about over for that to show up, and it makes it more interesting. Mm-hmm. And, like, a plot twist doesn't necessarily have to um, come completely out of the blue. Like, in fact, honestly, um, I think some of the um, greatest plot twists that I've personally seen have had things that just, you know, didn't seem like anything at all, and then it was a Chekhov's gun all along. And it just um, makes you think, like, oh, wow, like, the author really did, in fact, think about this and it really makes you appreciate the kind of effort that the writer has put in, but um, it's just not the case here. A good plot twist should be something that makes you recontextualize what just happened in like an interesting way, but also a good story should not be ruined by a plot twist being revealed, you know? Mm -hmm. If being told, spoilers, Darth Vader is Luke's father ruined Star Wars, Star Wars would be shit. Yep. Do you think plot twists should be seeded to the point where an audience could have figured it out Ahead of time. Like in One Piece, when there was that traitor, who I won't say for spoilers, but if you actually looked at the pieces, people had guesses that he was a traitor using some pretty solid evidence. At the end of the day, just because something's predictable doesn't mean it's bad. You can have, like, the most obvious twist happen, but it can still be a great moment and have, like, a lot of emotional depth and weight. Like, in G Gundam, you know that Schwartzbruder is Dolman's brother. The show knows that it is. The show knows that you know. <laughs> can you go into more detail about, like, what you mean by that? Okay, so G Gundam is the best anime ever made. Second best, after Gurren Lagann. Uh, it's better than Gurren Lagann. So anyway. Goodbye. <laughs> it's like, if you ever seen Gundam, Gundam is like this uh, very intense political show, but then G Gundam's like, what if these giant robots just fought each other in a fighting tournament? And then, basically, the main character meets a guy named Schwartz Bruder, which also, I'm pretty sure, is German for Dark Brother. So they're not hiding it. And at one point, it turns out, surprise, he's Dolmon's long-lost brother brother who's actually secretly a good guy because like the thing with that twist is the twist is not oh that was secretly Dolman's brother the twist is why the fuck is that Dolman's brother how like that's still a good twist even though you see it coming I think mm-hmm. that's a good point so I have probably said maybe 10 minutes 10 minutes of audio this entire episode which is fine I've taken a really good nap since you guys said all the characters in the plot sorry <laughs> No, it's fine. I wanted to say that I think we've discussed a lot of the things I really didn't like, but the main thing that really stood out to me, and to be honest, I was disappointed because I know the writer can do better. When the main character, you know, he joins the Cyborg Guild, he's got his mission, and we find out the twist is, oh, the people that are protecting the slaves they're trying to free are from V&V. You know, I was like, this is going to be really interesting. We're going to see characters fighting. How do they handle this really complicated, you know, moral situation? Because, you know, it's just business. But then they say, oh... Here's this bullshit third party that's super evil and why all this is going on. Now you guys have an excuse to just team up and fight this person instead of having to deal with any morally complex. And it just completely killed what I thought was going to be like a really interesting arc. Yeah. Mermaid, as you guys have talked about, she was like, I love slaves. I love seeing people serve, suffer. Uh, I'm just a generically evil bad person. You can fight me and free the slave <laughs> after you defeat me and there's no issues. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You just ruined what would have been a really interesting moral dilemma. And the villain, the mermaid was also so flat too. The thing about the mermaid, that whole section is fucking insane and such an incredibly missed opportunity. Like, I fully believe that if that section had been really good, then the series might have actually kept going. But it just squanders what time it has. So basically what happens is the main character, who has now been kicked out of, like, two factions, gets sent to a third faction, which is the cyborg school. But it turns out the cyborg school is just a team of thieves for some reason. But don't worry, because there's no moral complexity there because they're going to steal some victims of human trafficking. The most commonly black and white evil thing you can have someone do in like in the real world, arguably. Like, nobody supports that, obviously. And then it's just, like, the bad guy is, as you said, there's this one-dimensional mermaid who loves slaves. Like, I think she's just like, I love slavery, and I love human trafficking, and I love hurting people. The head boss of the human trafficking company is, like, literally identified as, like, the boss of human trafficking. Like, I am the human trafficking boss. I want to see the CEO of, of slavery. Exactly! Not so not at all. Not at all. <laughs> it's not just subtle, it's like generic to the point where it feels like the author is primarily working with like metaphors and archetypes, more so than characters or actual groups. Mm-hmm. So there's one point that I kind of wanted to end with. So 
I used to judge um, comic tournaments on um, DeviantArt a really long time ago. <laughs> what tends to happen when people are judging um, and evaluating these um, amateur comics is whether you should take more stock into story or with um, visuals. It's always like a contentious issue, and it really depends on who you ask. But um, I know I have an acquaintance of mine who puts more stock to visuals than a, the story a lot of time. And uh, the reasoning being that if he wanted to read a good story, then he would just go and read a novel. And, you know, I bring that up because I almost feel like the converse is true here. Like, it's literally the exact opposite of what I remember him saying, where the art is really good and the story is just so dense and jumbled that it can't save, like, like the art cannot save the story. And it makes me think, okay, well, if I wanted to look at um, good art, then maybe I would take a look at um, Amano's um, art book if he had any out there, you know? This artist is great. Oh, absolutely. The art is really strong, which I think is a great segue into talking about the positives of the series, where it still does definitely have some strong points. So, Tori, why don't you lead it? This art is better than... Sorry. Sorry. I hate you so much. Okay, so, <laughs> Tori, as designated by our document. No, I'm just kidding. So, Jordan, I know you have a very strong thought you want to say about the art in a positive light. This art's better than Zipman. Ooh, that's a bold statement, because that was, like, the only thing Zipman had going for it. Yeah. Okay, Tori, you can say what you wanted to say. I'm sorry. While we're here praising the art, let's actually go into why it's, like, really good. The composition um, for its, like, splash pages is incredible. You know, if you disregard, like, all the denseness um, and the speech bubbles and such, the art and the action are both, like, really solid. The um, sequences are dynamic, and the character design is uh, very cool. And this is especially considering the setting with both fantasy and sci-fi elements. And you can definitely tell that the artist has a lot of versatility when it comes to character design. No character actually feels like a weak point for this artist. The artist draws this character who's like kind of a, a cute cat girl type character that wasn't overall rel- like relevant to the plot, so we didn't include her. So you think, oh, she's uh, she's really nice. And then she's just like, I can use you as a human shield. And the artist, just by kind of changing how he does the strokes of like the lines and stuff, suddenly just makes her look like really creepy. And then the next panel, it goes back to the normal style. And then the style after that is cartoony and like a little bit chibi but it doesn't feel super out of place it's like really good really thought out really just easily versatile like the the art is just very like masterfully done i think did you guys have any other things that you really in particularly enjoyed about the series i think a lot of the humor did not exactly um resonate with me um as a whole but there were some good moments actually more notably uh, relatable moments uh especially you know with the pandemic and all uh with the main character just struggling to find a job to fill a crippling, uh, you know, financial debt, which technically it isn't a debt because he's more trying to like buy something as opposed to like really paying somebody back. But <laughs> you know, that's that's that kind of stings <laughs> in a pretty funny way. <laughs> I distinctly remember there was this um, massive panel that I think the three of us uh, managed to com- uh, like uh, notice or comment on. Jake says with a really serious face, like a serious shonen protagonist face, says, "I think I could become a good shield again." bullets <laughs> he's not wrong he's not wrong but then it's just kind of like you almost imagine like a, a professional anime voice actress like just kind of coming in and just like I'm a good shield against bullets <laughs> shoot me <laughs> So another thing that I like, like we've mentioned that they are, um, that this manga is actually very heavily about like metaphor and allegory. I think that that stuff is interesting. There really is this kind of class dynamic. I mean, there is like a critique of capitalism, basically, with the idea of a private security firm and how you can have good people doing bad things. Or even just the fact that Jig has to find some kind of job in order to do this, which winds up with him like getting involved with like a bunch of assassins and killers and stuff like that for sure i think there is absolutely like thought that went into each of these things like you can really break down the metaphor and allegory here oh my god i just fucking remembered dragons are shape-shifting lizards that live on the moon and they're secretly running the media and all this other shit yeah, on that note, I think the setting is pretty cool. Like, I don't think I've run into a shonen that had this kind of science 
meets fantasy aspect where you're literally seeing like lizard people with like smartphones. Yeah. Which was pretty cool. You can identify this manga from a thousand paces. You know, how many Shonen Jump protagonists have like a modern cell phone anyway? Like <laughs> Bone Collection kind of was like a fantasy in the real world or modern setting, but it just kind of didn't really try though to actually try and integrate it where this you actually see a setting where what is society like if there are elves, if there are dwarves, if there are cyborgs, if there are zombies, you know, like things are going to be different, but things are still going to be the same there's still a bakery but the bakery has a sign saying well you're willing to hire cyborgs which you know actually shows that they put a lot of thought into establishing this as like a real world though i will say it would have been nice to have seen more little moments that weren't directly plot related to just establish what this world is like one of the coolest things that happens in this manga is i think towards the last few chapters the author just kind of told the artist you know what dude have fun Because he starts doing some really cool shit with the panels as Jig uh, loses grip of his mind. Like, they start warping in really interesting ways. Shadows start playing over his face to show it that he's actually, like, dark and evil. It's actually really cool. Something that you wouldn't expect to see in, like, a, a lot of um, shonen mangas, too. Yeah, it's a level of experimentation that you typically only see in something a little more underground. Oh, one thing I thought was cool was just they actually kind of respect the power scaling of the artifacts to a degree. Like, it makes sense that a ring that summons demons is less powerful than unlimited water supply because, like, the sheer economics of having an unlimited power supply, like, this guy literally uses a level D artifact that generates unlimited water to create a desert nation, makes a lot of sense. And I thought that was just another example of the writer actually being smart with their writing when they wanted to be. He thought out a lot of this world. There is an explanation. I bet if you asked him some random question about an extremely minor thing that happens in this manga, he could probably tell you all about it. But he wasn't able to funnel that into, like, a very good storytelling. I bet there's, like, a panel where you see a calendar, and it's not called Moon Monday. It's called, like, Dragon Day, because the dragons live on the moon, so they took over that cultural uh, aspect. Fucking might be. This is, like, fitting the entirety of, like, Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion into, like, a very small book and hoping that it makes sense, and it doesn't. So, similar to our last episode where I thought, since it was a gag manga, it really shouldn't have been in Shonen Jump, so it could be, like, six to eight page chapters when it needed to be. I think this series, actually, in contrast, really should have been monthly. I know we talked about how reading it to week to week is painful and monthly sounds like it's worse, but I don't necessarily think it would be because it means he gets twice as much room for every single idea where he's still getting this, oh, something always has to happen. And you see the writer, he thinks that the version of that is having these like generic lines or these twists or these new characters. But by having 50 pages instead of 20, he really can take an idea, run with it, and resolve it in one month instead of having to resolve it in small pieces where it just didn't work. So I think that overall being like in Jump Square, where it's also a more mature audience, because some of the themes on this series just didn't really work. And you could see he was a bit handcuffed by his age rating as well. And just being able to publish it monthly, having an older audience that's more respectful and willing to wait things out so he's not like, go, go, go all the time, works. Like, we saw that with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where when it shifted from weekly to monthly, Araki got to be much more experimental in his ideas, he got to do longer payoffs because the audience was older, so they were better at retaining what was going on, and it overall has created a type of story that still feels very much like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, but it is a type of story he could not have told if he was doing it weekly instead of monthly. I agree with that a lot. The big issue here is that it just rushes so fast. Mm -hmm. It's like sprinting to give you as much setup as it can so that it can pay things off. But it needs to take the time to really explain why you should care about these things that it's explaining. And yeah, it's better if it all, if like you have more things happening in one chapter so that you don't just like put the whole thing down when he doesn't have time to build up and flesh things out. Yeah. And then, uh, Tori, what would you say is, like, something that you would really fundamentally want to have changed about this series? The pacing. Any way to correct that would have been amazing. And I think the author really needed to, um, have more focus on one issue at a time. I didn't exactly get to go into, um, what happens the second chapter. Like, I explained the chaos that was the first chapter. But then the second chapter, what immediately happens is all of a sudden there is an Assassin's Guild and that the dragon, um, uh, the Toroma used to be um, an assassin as well, on top of being an invisible man and an invisible dragon. So I think uh, with respect to the focus, it's like just, you know, take a few chapters to let the audience like and the characters themselves just like kind of let the information marinate for a little bit. Yes, absolutely. 100%. 
So I made a little list of things that happen in this manga that would have, if expanded upon, been better for the format. So here are uh, various plot lines that I think could have been used instead. Soya's Bakery slash Assassin's Guild. Focus the whole manga on that. There you go. That's a manga. Trauma gaining a sense of self. That's a manga. That's closer to what I think it goes with. Alice's entire backstory. Just do that. And then the manga ends almost like by pitching a new manga, which is an isekai where all the characters from this world show up in real Japan. And then you also have the character who is in an isekai from Japan into this world. There are so many little plot lines. It's It almost feels like a sampling plate. Here's all the different stories I can make. Can you guys think of any other stories that happen? Because there are still more. Yeah, you could probably slice, probably. Why does he bleed gold? What does he do with all this shit? Also, just, they talk about there's, like, this spelunking element where people go into these ruins to find the artifacts, and literally no one ever does that in any capacity. So you could probably make a setting entirely out of, like, a team of people trying to find these artifacts. That's true. They set up at one point that the entire reason why the city is here is because the economy is based around finding these artifacts. Yeah. Or also just a hundred years ago, how did they kill these super powerful dragons and put them on the moon and stuff? So yeah, there's like seven or eight stories you could very easily have spun off off of this. Yeah, that initial war is something I would have liked to see, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it almost shames me that the series didn't become big enough that they could have had spinoffs because he could have given a lot of ideas to people and made legitimately made like an expanded universe. I also think that at the end of the manga, if it picked up from here, you could flip the whole thing so that Troma is now the main character, but it ends. That's it. It's over. We're done. You can go home now. Didn't resolve him or anything. Let's let's go. Yeah, that's okay. We have to deal with uh, loss sometimes. <laughs> is this loss? <laughs> also, as I talked about before, redo that slave arc to have made it actually like an actual moral conflict instead of this bullshit opt out. Because that arc would have been really, really cool if he hadn't been afraid to do the hard writing, which I know he was capable of. That slave arc is so weird because like he puts so much thought into like everything else. And then it just feels like he put no thought into the bad guys of the slave arc. And I feel like he was trying to be clever in that way. Like he was trying to be meta, but it just didn't work. It made it feel too meta. I feel like with like 90% certainty, his editor probably forced him to do that because he was like, this is going to be too complicated for 13 year olds to understand like a moral morality. And like, sometimes you have to do the wrong thing when it's your job. And he's like, no, let's have a third party bad guy so that you don't have to, in some capacity, defend people protecting slaves. Yeah. It ruins the whole manga. It really, really does. If that was a great arc... We'd still be reading it. Exactly. It had. I mean, I think it had to be at least, like, very good to save the manga. Jordan's legitimately mad. I am. It's upsetting. Now that we've discussed what it could have done differently, why don't we go to our miscellaneous thoughts and just talk about kind of little ideas we had that maybe just couldn't have fit into the other section. So, in canon... They say everyone is speaking Japanese because of, like, the influence of the outsiders, but they say the elves' indigenous language is English. (laughs) There's, like, one character who is just a ninja from actual Japan. Yeah, she got isekai'd. Yeah, that's where we find out that, oh, actually, this isn't Japan, because even though it's Japan, nobody knows what the fuck a ninja is, even though there's, like, trolls and shit. So that suddenly becomes a massive plot point at the very end, just introduced as a one-off character explaining, yeah, I'm from a different world called Japan, and nobody knows what the fuck I'm talking about. Fucking isekais. Yeah. Uh, something I did want to say is there are moments in this manga that feel almost like there's too much content in, like, every line of dialogue. It almost feels like Axe Cop. Oh, God. Like, there's this one part where it's like, the only way he'll survive is if we attach cyborg parts. Yeah. Can you give, like, a five-second summary of what Axe Cop is? Axe Cop is a comic written by a five-year-old and drawn by his, like, 35-year-old brother or something. Yeah, it's pretty great. Okay, so, though, in terms of miscellaneous spots, also, this is pretty similar to Bright, which is the Netflix show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone's favorite Netflix show, Bright. Yeah, so that's it, huh? We're some sort of stealth symphony. <laughs> and then also when Torama says he will stand by the main character because the main character has dreams while he has none, it just gave me good Gurren Lagan vibes. Where it's like, believe in me that believes in you. There are good moments here. Forgot to mention the character section. Slice absolutely hates Alice because Alice stole his ability. And so what he does is he takes photos of her and like blends them and like drinks them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
which is like the fucking weirdest shit. But it's such a crazy idea. I love it. And you see like in the background pictures of her in a blender while he's like talking on the phone and stuff. Slice is kind of a great villain. In a different context, I think he would be great. He's such a vile human being. He just gets together a bunch of people and are like, uh, okay, guys, look, I'll, I'll pay you $10 million uh, if you just kill each other. I'm just going to sit here and I'm not going to intervene. And he's kind of like, yeah, what? They all agreed to it. They all signed up for the con. They all signed the contract saying they do it. I'm not forcing them. Oh, my God. I both love and hate how basically at the end, like, everybody just gathers together because they were literally paid to be there. (laughs) Yes, I was gonna say, he defeats the bad guy by just paying every other character. He's like, here's a hundred million dollars, beat up the bad guys, because there's, like, a huge dragon army, and that's how he recruits everyone, is just purely by paying everyone. Well, I mean, it just goes into the whole idea of manufacturing consent that capitalism does, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It's true. (laughs) Okay, now that I think we've wrapped up all of our miscellaneous thoughts, why don't we turn it to the final verdict. So, Jordan, did you remember to do a six-word summary this week? I literally just did it a second before you asked me that, actually. I fucking hate you. So my six-word summary of this is Dragon Breath Can't Melt Steel Beams. God damn it. That's pretty fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Tori? Cast made by D20 character generators. (laughs) That's exactly what it is! You just assembled nouns and you rolled a dice. Yeah, exactly. That is such a good thing because, like, all the characters, it's like, clearly there was, like, a lot of backstory here. And he just can't stop telling you about it And when it doesn't matter. <laughs> maybe the author is actually an AI for generating character backstories. Oh, God, maybe. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> we had an AI read a thousand, like, manga that were in Shonen Jump and we produced the manga just to see what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> I actually believe that if they said an AI wrote a lot of this series. Yeah, it makes sense. Mine is, um, and points to anyone who knows the reference, so I said characters and characters and characters and... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's an epic mealtime reference. Okay, I didn't get it. (laughs) Where they go bacon strips and bacon strips and bacon strips and bacon (laughs) strips. I think, Ashley, this is probably, I think, one of our best weeks for Six Word Summary. So, Tori, thank you for bringing the game. Jordan, for doing your homework right before it was called. Hey, I did it! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you did it, and that's what matters. We've had definitely a lot of fun talking about this show, but let's get into our ultimate verdict, flop or not. Tori, what do you think? Is this series a flop or not? Definitely a flop. Uh, How about you, Jordan? It is a flop. There's good shit that happens here, but it's just arranged so poorly. I would agree. I would say this is definitely a flop. I would say, as a metaphor, this was a writer who tried to put a chapter of text into a chapter of manga, and you can very much tell that. And so, though, Tori, what would you say, since you said it was a flop, what do you think our dear listeners should check out instead of reading Stealth Symphony? The Stealth Symphony art uh, reminds me a lot of the art from um, Katakyo Hitman Reborn, which is uh, a manga series that I read when I was in middle and high school. So I guess um, that was kind of why I was initially excited to read this at first. And I think Reborn, it's over now. It's been over for several years. But I think it has like a similar art style. It's also, of course, um, shonen. It has like a lot of the same uh, or similar ridiculousness that the author here tried to pull at a pace that's more appropriate for um, a shonen manga. It also has a massive cast and many of them are likable characters. The last two arcs, I have to admit, are not so great. <laughs> <laughs> but I would d- definitely recommend um, checking that out. I just remember how Hitman Reborn is famous for having, like, one of the dumbest fillers of all time where they, like, defeat, like, all these bad guys, like, bodyguards, and then they're like, oh, those were my decoy bodyguards. Here are the real bodyguards you have to defeat. (laughs) God. No, I remember that made me so angry, but at the same time, it was still funny because I, because that manga has a history of doing, like, some really stupid OP stuff that's like kind of done in like a humorous and like a decent pace. You were a little more primed for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Tori is recommending reading everything but the last two arcs of Hitman Report. <laughs> How about you, Jordan? What are you checking out? <laughs> so you asked me before this, and I was fully ready to um to recommend Metal Gear Solid 2 because that because of how convoluted that gets, but it's better. But what I realized talking about this, the actual manga I want to recommend is actually Hunter Hunter. Mm. Because what Hunter Hunter is, 
like the first three or four episodes are just incredibly generic, like intentionally a generic anime. Like it's still engaging, more engaging than this one was in the beginning, but it's very much, these are shown in tropes, these are shown in characters, but then it begins to start really messing with that formula and you start like learning about characters that you've never thought of before that you wouldn't normally interact with in any other shonen. But there is also a massive cast and they're all very in-depth. Like, I really got the sense that the author was trying to make his own Hunter Hunter. Yeah, and then Hunter Hunter's great, even though it's been on hiatus forever, which is why people call it hiatus hiatus. <laughs> For people that are trying to look up the series, just remember, there is an X in the series name. is Hunter X Hunter, but the X is not pronounced. <laughs> Unless you're Eyepatch Wolf. Super Eyepatch Wolf, yes. That's why he won't come on our show and talk about zombie powder. So if you're listening, you are welcome to come talk about Kubo's first series, Zombie Powder. We're saving it for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe I also um didn't say this outright, but um considering the writer um is the author of Bakano and Durarara, you might as well check those out too. Yes, I had a note to say check those out, but I felt that was kind of lazy. So my recommendation though was Attack on Titan. We're talking Titan is a series kind of if you feel like the second half of this series sounds interesting, imagine that. Like Attack on Titan is a fairly famous series, so I won't go into detail. But if you like the idea of where this character seems like he's kind of this low energy, but then you find out he's actually like super psychotic and he's got like this very violent side and it just kind of turns your head on a bunch of events that occurred. If you want kind of the edge that the series couldn't have because it wasn't shown in jump, Attack on Titan definitely will scratch that itch in a much better way. Okay, so then Jordan, just yes or no, is this the worst series we've read? No. Oh, absolutely. I would agree. So, Matsuma Security still takes the crown as the best series we have ever read so far in Shonen Flop. Yes. Okay, so why don't we take it to shoutouts? Props to Jordan for making the awesome theme song you heard at the start of this episode. Props to Aaliyah for making this episode's cover. And Nigel Francis for being our generous art benefactor. And hey, you know what? Thanks to David for editing this episode. Oh, thanks, buddy. Like, really? Yeah, there's just so much content in this episode, just like how there's so much content in this actual manga. <laughs> yeah! I'm just going to be chain-smoking and editing this for the entire week. It's fine. <laughs> I also want to thank Tim Plumador for his awesome work as our social media manager, and I want to thank Tucker for the pronunciation help. It's definitely been a struggle even with it, but it would have been so much worse without it. Keep an eye out, of course, for a special bonus content where he will be going into more detail of the pronunciations, in particular the character Jig and how his name could be translated two different ways and just kind of how that Really works with the Japanese language. I also really want to give a big thank you to you, Tori, for joining us today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. If you would like to um, check out some of uh, my work, um, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram uh, under Hi Miss Victoria. And um, there should also be um, various links to, um, say, like my portfolio and um, some other links, um, namely on my Twitter page. Awesome. I will be sure to include a link to them on the description below. And then I also want to give a really big thank you to everyone who has shared the show and written us reviews on iTunes. That is a big help. It lets us be found more organically and lets us get more listeners, which lets us keep doing the show. In particular, I want to give a thank you to Amano Karis, The Kohai Beans Podcast, Caddy Girl, Nikki PG Turner, Jake Quirk, Drinking a Sprite, and someone who mashed the keyboards randomly. <laughs> Again, that is a popular theme for people. I'm sorry if that was actually your name, but it probably isn't. Oh, David, that's just a nice landic person. Oh, you're right. They, they're from the fjords eating their, uh, their seal meat. <laughs> is that offensive, Icelandic people? I don't know where, where the ball is right now in that. <laughs> I don't think so. If you're an Icelandic person and upset by my representation of your culture, please feel free to send me a Twitter and let me know. Especially if you're Bjork. Oh my goodness. Please tell me you're going to cut that out. Please. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm definitely keeping that in. We're a bit promo-heavy this week, so I'm going to play them all now. Hello, Twisted Humans. This is the podcast where two best friends chat true crime and have a glass or two of wine. I'm Alicia. And I'm Caitlin. And this is Twisted and Uncorked. So join us every week for Casual Tuesdays, where we release a new episode. We are now available on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Rate, review, and subscribe. Cheers! Cheers! Hey everybody, this is Nerd Bomber here, one of the co-hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our weekly podcast started as a way for three friends to keep in touch and discuss their passion for movies, gaming, technology, and entertainment. And since then, we've grown into a fantastic online community. Every Wednesday, we release a new episode discussing the latest nerdy news, and then we go hands-on with our weekly adventures and a fun trivia show. Sound interesting? Check us out on every podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or hit us up at onlinewarriorspodcast.com. 
Hi, I'm Rich. I'm Natalie. And this is Not Suitable for Adults. Listen to us speak calmly and wisely to you about the best and the worst of kids' TV shows today. Some of it's good. Some of it. Bye. Bye. I also want to give a shout out to the Super Scouts Kickstarter. It is this awesome Kickstarter. It's in its last few days when you're listening to us, but essentially it is a very Super Sentai Power Rangers inspired comic. Feel free to check it out. The guy reached out to us. He sent us actually the entire series. So at some point, Jordan and I will hopefully be doing a special where we talk about our thoughts. Yeah. So keep an eye out for when we do that because it's been awesome doing some more bonus content for you guys. And then finally, I want to give a shout out to the Brands Meet A Lot site. So it is created by Jared Holst and the blog's focuses on all the bizarre and senseless ways branding impacts our lives. Topics span from Ruth Bader Ginsburg branded pillows to how the NCAA perceives its student athletes as it pertains to concussions. Between now and November 10th, for every new subscriber the newsletter gets, he will personally donate $5 to the Doe Fund, which is really awesome of him, and I always appreciate it when these content creators are finding ways to give back. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find Shonen Flop on Facebook and Twitter at Shonen Flopcast and our website ShonenFlop.com. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcast. This has been David. This has been Jordan. And this has been Tori. And you've been listening to Shonen Flop. Keep on flopping, floppers. Flop, 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 flop. <laughs> and characters and characters and characters. And characters and characters and characters and characters. Flop, 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 flop. And scene.